Owen, it's great to see all of you. Uh, I do have to say, uh, Monday night basketball has been pretty awesome. If you saw me get up a little slow this morning, that's I was at basketball this last Monday. Uh, but it has been awesome just to see. Uh, I mean, there was over 20 people there this last Monday, guys and ladies, college age, older people. It was it was phenomenal. It was awesome. And so, if you have any inkling, you love to come out. Please, we would love to have you. It's great, a lot of fun just to hang out. Uh, I know the ladies had a great event yesterday at the Crafter Noon. Did I say that right? Uh, was it good? I, mean, I, was, I wasn't allowed to be there, so um, I hope that it was amazing. There's more events that are going to be coming up. Guys, if you haven't signed up for the Whirly Ball, please do, because we're really looking forward to that. Um, excuse me, we're going to uh, start, go, we're going to continue in a new series uh, that we began last week. Uh, we've been asking the question, why is grace so amazing? Uh, this is the question that we're looking at this month. Last week, I shared this quote, the grace of God is one of the most important subjects in all of Scripture. At the same time, it's probably one of the least understood. And so in that, we're trying to understand this. We're trying to understand this deep, important, impacting, phenomenal truth from Scripture about the reality of grace. We're giving an answer to the question every week. Why is grace so amazing? Last week, the thing we emphasized was that grace is amazing because it's free grace, not earned grace. We talked about the reality of us being spiritually, our need of being spiritually dead, but that in God's grace, that he does all the work, he does everything that's necessary, he lovingly rescues and restores us. And so the truth of the gospel is that we, uh, we freely receive grace, we don't have to earn it. And so going in, building on that, we talked about receiving grace last week. This week, we want to answer the question, why is grace so amazing with this answer? Because it is constant grace, not occasional grace. Grace is amazing because it is constant, not occasional. And to get in this, there's going to be two main texts that I'm going to be looking at, but also jumping all over the place. And the two are uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 9 to 10, and John 1.16. They're a little shorter, so I'm just going to read them really quick, and then we'll pray together. And so this is 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10. And Paul, one of the New Testament church leaders and authors of a lot of our New Testament, he, um, he wrote this first one. He says this, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. For by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. And then the second text is John 1.16. For the, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together and we'll jump into this. God, we come before you thanking you so much, praising you that you are a gracious God. We thank you, God, for your pursuit of us, your love for us. God, we thank you for the fact that you have not only taken the initiative, but you've done all the work that you have made it possible for us to be who we are, who we are in you, to be secure, to be your children, to have hope and peace and joy. God, I pray you would encourage our hearts and challenge our hearts with this truth again this morning. Help us to have hearts and minds that are tender to you, to receptive to you, to receive your grace. And I pray that you would speak. I pray, Spirit, you would move in this place. If people are watching at home, that you would move where we're at and you would speak into our hearts. 
Let us hear from you this morning in a powerful way. In your name we pray. Amen. In uh, fall of 2020, a meme became very popular that depicted, here's how it started and here's how it's going. Have you seen this one before? Here's how it started, here's how it's going. There's many examples that I've seen where typically a lot of times it's a very positive example, kind of seeing the growth or the success of somebody, and then other times it's the exact opposite. Um, Here's a couple examples. So here's one. Uh, This guy, here's how it started, younger, standing in front of a train system. Here's how it's going. Now he's an Amtrak conductor. Next one, not as as positive. Here's how it started. (laughs) Here's how it ended. Uh, That one's, but that dog is cute. Um, Obviously different celebrities got into it. This next one, I had to show Moth Gideon here. So how it started, how it's going. And this is actually my favorite of all the ones I found. Young Selena Gomez with Barney, how it started, to how it's going. So there's a trajectory here. We see how this is how it was, but this is how it's going. Either way, whether it's positive or whether it's negative, the idea is that how something started is not how it continued. It's different now. Again, that might be a positive thing or that might be a negative thing, but here's how it started and here's how it continued. When it comes to following Jesus, what we talked about last week with how it starts with grace. How it started, how it starts with Jesus is with grace. Unfortunately, there can be misunderstanding of how it continues and that it doesn't continue the same way. The wrong way of looking at things, the wrong way of understanding Scripture is that it started with grace, but how it's going is works. This is unfortunately the wrong, many times, this is unfortunately how people can take it. Whether it's how they've been taught or how they've thought, the idea is that my relationship with Jesus begins with grace. There's nothing that I can do on my own to make it happen. He does it all. But after the relationship with him begins, then I have to work to keep that going. I have to work to maintain his love. I have to work to maintain grace. I have to work to maintain how this should be. But what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 actually, and amongst other places, actually tells us something different and shows us something different. What Paul says here, going back to those two verses, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. And by the grace of God, I am that I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain." What Paul is saying in these two verses, verse 9, the first part of verse 10, is basically what we went over last week. This is what we were discussing last week. He says, I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. Paul's talking about the fact he was spiritually dead, spiritually bankrupt. Sin is in the world and in our lives, and that's what broke creation, broke humanity's relationship with God, and has brought brokenness into the world. But then Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. The grace that sh- which God showed Paul and all of us was Jesus, was through Jesus. He explains this in detail actually in the verses leading up to this in 15. Paul gives the good news. He says, I would deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to, and he goes and lists all these different people that the risen Jesus appeared to. That's the reality of the good news. 
That's the, that's the grace which God has shown humanity. Jesus came in our place to live a life, to then be able to die as a perfect, living a perfect life, to go and be a sacrifice for our sins, so our sins could be put on him, and he paid the penalty of those sins, so his righteousness could be put on us, so that when God sees us, he sees the reality of who Jesus is, and we can be back in relationship with him. That's what Paul's talking about here. This is the grace that he received. The definition of grace that we used last week came from Jerry Bridges. He said, grace, grace is God's free and unmerited favor shown to guilty sinners who deserve only judgment. It is the love of God shown to the unlovely. It is God reaching downward to people who are in rebellion against him. God shows his love to us in Jesus. God pursues us, forgives us, redeems us, restores us, gives us new life in everything that we have because of Jesus. Paul didn't do anything to receive this. The grace was freely given. That's how it started. That's what Paul's talking about. This is how it started. But then look what he says in the latter part of verse 10. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, referring to the other church leaders. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Since I began following Jesus, since I received grace, I've been working hard. I've been doing my best. I've been doing everything I can. But even my efforts are because of the grace of God. Paul is within the midst of how it's going here. He's living as a follower of Jesus, living as a leader of a church. And he's saying that that is happening not because of him but because of the grace of God that is within him. Paul is miscorrecting any misconception that we can, have, we can have here. With Jesus, how it started and how it's going are the exact same. By grace. It started with grace and it's continuing with grace. It starts with grace and grace never ends. And so not only do we receive God's grace in the beginning, but we live by his grace every step of the way. We, this is part of one of the misunderstandings of grace. This is one of the things that we have to make sure that we're having correct biblical thinking on in our minds, that it doesn't change from grace to works, but it's grace to grace. Grace and grace, and grace never stops. Yeah, I've quoted from this Jerry Bridges book I've been reading called Transforming Grace. And in there, he gives this example of imagining that our lives are like a glass of water. And what we talked about last week is that according to Ephesians 2.1, we are dead in our trespasses and sin. So take this idea. If we put our, li our lives are a glass of water, think about the idea that within our sins, within our trespasses, that would be like putting globs of ink into the water. It messes everything up. It ruins things. It doesn't matter how much we try to get things out, how we try to fix it. It's only going to make things worse. It's not going to be as it was supposed to be. This is the reality of what it means to be spiritually bankrupt, to be spiritually dead. But then take that same glass of water and put that glass of water under a powerful, steady stream of water, and the ink, ink becomes fleshed out. It will be cleaned. It will be restored. It will be as it was meant to be. 
This is an image of the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus. He forgives us, cleanses us, restores us. It says in Isaiah 118, Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. It says in Titus 3, He saves us not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul was referring to when he said, By grace I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. By his grace we are healed. But if that's how it started, then the wrong way to think is that that's not how it keeps going. The wrong idea of grace, the misunderstanding of grace, is that once Jesus cleanses us and restores us, that grace pauses. That grace stops. And so God cleaned you up, but now you have to clean yourself because we're still going to mess up. We're still going to do things wrong. We're still going to fail either God or ourselves or other people. And so God restores you. Now you have to maintain the relationship status. God unconditionally loved you, but now there are conditions. The thinking says it started with grace, but now it's works. Hear me this morning. That's not biblical. That's not good news. That's not what Jesus has done. God's grace is always. God's grace is constant. It is never temporary and it never pauses. Remember, remember that we read John 1:16. For from him his fullness we have all received from him, excuse me, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, that we have received not just grace, but grace upon grace. Not just grace, but abundance of grace. William Hendrickson says this, the meaning of verse 16 here is that believers are constantly receiving grace in the place of grace. One manifestation of unmerited favor of God in Christ is hardly gone when another arrives. Hence, grace upon grace. The image of seeing waves come up on the shore and the waves keep coming. They don't stop. And God's grace just keeps coming. It doesn't stop. So the appropriate way of thinking about the gospel, the appropriate way of thinking about this illustration and what God, go ahead and play the last, next one. The appropriate way of thinking is that when we receive grace, God, Jesus cleanses us, restores us, makes us new, makes us his children, gives us a new identity. Because of his grace, we are new people. And that grace never stops. And so when I do something stupid, it didn't pause grace. Grace is upon grace and I'm forgiven. When I fail, the grace had never stopped, and his grace continues, and I'm restored. God's grace is constant. The water of God's grace never stops, never pauses, never turns off. It is always going, always there, never temporary. We mess up. The water of God's grace is there, constantly flowing over us. We are weak. The water of God's grace is always there, constantly flowing over us. Whatever it is, whatever is going on, whatever is happening, God's grace is constant. We always receive grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. We are saved by grace and we live by grace. Grace is how it started and grace is how it's going. What are the implications of that then? 
Well, for our failures, there are grace. I mean, think of the things I just got done saying. For our failures, there is grace. Everyone in here, myself included, has done something stupid. Everyone in here, myself included, has done something that we're ashamed of. Maybe it was a compromise at work. Maybe it was looking at something on the internet. Maybe it was something you said to your kids or your spouse. Maybe it was cheating at something at school. Or to be more specific, it's the thing you're thinking of right now. When we have the wrong way of thinking, when we have the works way of thinking, we respond to our failures with, I need to do something to make God okay with me again. I need to change this, add this, stop this. And then, and then the grace will begin to flow. And then he will begin to love me again. And then I'll be okay with him. That's not how it works. Romans 5, Paul says, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Where sin was present, grace was still flowing. And it never stopped. You need to know, whatever you are thinking about based on what I just brought up, you are loved, you are cared for, you are under the flow of grace, and there is nothing that you can do or ever do that will cause God to pause his grace for you. His grace is constant, and you can't stop it. Now, that doesn't mean that we blow off sin, that we just act like it's not there. The Bible is clear. We need to hate sin in our lives. It says in James 4.9, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. This is not the Bible giving it a pathetic description of how to live every second of our lives. This is a specific description of how we should respond to our sin. When we fail, we need to respond in this manner. It should bother us. We need to acknowledge it, take ownership of it, confess our sin. But we do all of that under grace. Grace is happening while we do that. God's grace is present while that is happening. John says, excuse me, Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. John 1, 9 and 10, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. We can't be self-righteous. We can't act like we don't ever do anything. We have to acknowledge the truth, but we come to him asking for forgiveness, knowing that the grace is present. Eugene Peterson says, All the persons of faith I know are sinners, doubters, uneven performers. We are secure not because we are sure of ourselves, but because we trust that God is sure of us. Jesus has never stopped loving you. Jesus hasn't put condemnation back on you. Jesus has not put shame on you. Jesus has never withdrawn his grace from you. In our failures, there is grace. And so for some of you, the thing that you need to hear this morning is that if you are a child of God and the flow of grace is over you, you need to stop beating yourself up. Because God's not beating you up. You need to receive the forgiveness that God's already done. You need to receive and live under his grace because in our failures, there is grace. 
Second implications of all of this, for our weaknesses, there is grace. For our weaknesses, there is grace. At times, we feel inadequate. Maybe you feel like you don't qualify for what life's throwing at you. Maybe you feel overwhelmed. Maybe you feel uncertain. Maybe you feel the weight of perfectionism. Maybe you feel like you aren't meeting expectation. The reality is, is that life tends to magnify our weaknesses. Live life and pay attention to what's going on, and we will see our inadequacies. But this is part of the beauty of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says, he said to, God said to me, my grace, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I mean, what Paul is saying here goes against everything within our culture. I mean, we typically flock to the celebrities, the ones who seem successful, who have the awesome stories. Tell me how you did it. But that's not what Paul's doing here. Paul is talking, Paul's flex here is, I am the weakest of all. I have failed more than you can imagine. And God's grace shines through because the only way that I can do this is because of him. And the only reason I'm here is because of him. I acknowledge, I've asked him to take my weaknesses away, but he lets me keep them. He wants me to keep them so that I will trust in his power and not my own. Self-sufficiency does not lead to godliness. Let me say that again. Self-sufficiency does not lead to godliness. As much as we, within we think about our failures, we can't think that we have none. When we think about our weaknesses, we can't think that we can do it on our own. And we have, we have a great, healthy understanding of grace when we live with the acknowledgement that we cannot do life on our own. And we desperately need the grace of God. We avoid conversations because of conflict. We, we avoid getting help because of shame. We avoid taking action because of the needed effort. We give in to our weaknesses rather than relying on God's grace, but we need to lean into them. And we need to trust him. We need to move toward the things we typically avoid, not walking on our own, but knowing that he is with us and his grace will give us the power and the strength and the wisdom that we need. Brendan Manning says this, For those who feel their lives are a grave disappointment to God, it requires enormous trust and reckless, raging confidence to accept that the love of Jesus Christ knows no shadow or alteration or change. When Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy burdened, he assumed we would grow weary, discouraged, and disheartened along the way. Those words are a touching testimony to the genuine humanness of Jesus. He had no romantic notion of the cost of discipleship. He knew that following him was an unsentimental as duty, as demanding as love. God knows that we can't do it. He just wants us to catch up with the realization. He wants to go with us. He wants to walk with you. He wants to help through the power of his word and the leading of his spirit and the reality of communities surrounding you. You do not have to do life alone why? Because we do it with a gracious God who gives us strength. And so what's the thing that you've been wrestling with and pushing through and making life harder? 
because you're doing it by yourself. We have to acknowledge we are weak because in our weakness there is grace and he will give us strength. For our failures there is grace, for our weaknesses there is grace, and then the last thing, for everything we do, there is grace. For everything that we do, there is grace. Remember what Paul said about his work as a leader in the church. I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. And that is the truth for you and I as well. Everything that we do is under grace, through grace, because of grace. It's just grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Every breath you take is a testimony of the reality of grace. It's not just in our weaknesses we find grace, but it's also in our strengths. Not just when we are slipping up, but also when we are standing firm. Everything is grace and under grace and upon grace. And so when Colossians, Paul says in Colossians 3, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Everything I do and say is an act of grace. Because not only do I do what I do and say what I do under the reality of grace, but I also get to show and exhibit the reality of grace. Last week, we covered Ephesians 2, 1 to 9, and I left out verse 10, even though it's a part of that paragraph, because I wanted to wait till now to bring that in. It's, it says this, reading verses 8 through 10, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast. We receive grace all because of Jesus, not because of us. It started with grace, and it continues with grace. And he says in verse 10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Whatever God prepared in advance, which God prepared in advance for us to do. When he talks about God preparing us, that we're his handiworks, that he prepared good works in advance, that's all under the reality of grace. It's part of the same conversation. The life that we have, God has made a life for us, prepared for us to be part of what he's doing within showing the world grace as we received it. God has handcrafted us. We are his workmanship, his poetry for good works, to proclaim him, to make him known. That is part of receiving grace and living grace is that we're also sharing grace. Now, that's a big aspect. That's what next week is going to be about. That grace isn't just something that we hoard, but it's something that we share. But right now, we have to get down this thing. The constant grace means everything we do is under grace. Your work matters because you can experience the grace of God there and show the grace of God there. Your school matters because you can experience the grace of God there and show the grace of God there. Your neighborhood, your family, wherever you work out, wherever you play, wherever you fill in the blank, that is where you can experience the grace of God. And that is where you can show the grace of God. And remember, we don't do anything we do to impress God because we can't impress him. We do, we do not perform for grace. We live in grace. Everything we do is under grace. I want to read one more thing from Brennan Manning, and this is a little bit longer, but this, he wrote the, his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, is one of my favorite books, just really impacted my life when I began following Jesus. And when I think about this idea of there's grace for our failures, 
our weaknesses, and in everything we do. This section, just why try to say it when he says it the best? When I get honest, I admit, and this won't be up on the screen. I'm just going to read here. When I get honest, I admit I am a bundle of paradoxes. I believe and I doubt. I hope and I get discouraged. I love and I hate. I feel bad about feeling good. I feel guilty about not feeling guilty. I am trusting and suspicious. I am honest and I still play games. Aristotle said I am a rational animal. I say I'm an, I am an angel with an incredible capacity for beer. He said that. To live by grace means to acknowledge my whole life story, the light side and the dark side. In admitting my shadow side, I learn who I am and what God's grace means. As Thomas Merton put it, a saint is not someone who is good, but who experiences the goodness of God. The gospel of grace nullifies our adulation of televangelists, charismatic superstars, and local church heroes. It obliterates the two-class citizenship theory operative in many American churches. For grace proclaims the awesome truth that all is a gift. All that is good is ours, not by right, but by sheer bounty of a gracious God. While there is much we, can, we may have earned, our degree, our salary, our home, a garden, a Miller Lite, and a good night's sleep, all that is possible only because we have been given so much. Life itself, eyes to see and hands to touch, a mind to shape ideas and a heart to beat with love. We have been given God in our souls and Christ in our flesh. We have the power to believe where others deny, to hope where others despair, to love when others hurt. This and so much more is a sheer gift. It is not reward for our faithfulness, our generous disposition, or our heroic life of prayer. Even our fidelity is a gift. If we turn to God, said St. Augustine, that itself is a gift of God. My deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ, and I have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. My deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ, and I have done nothing to earn it or to deserve it. And so if grace is constant, if grace is never occasionally on, but always on, if everything is a gift of grace, if every breath that we breathe and interaction that we have is a gift of grace, how does that change your week? Where the tasks that you have before you, the challenges that you have to deal with, the projects you have to work on, the review you have to go into, the, the, the setting that you have to deal with, the paperwork you have to file, the discipline thing you have to it, it, deal with, the person you have to interact with, whatever it is. How does the fact that that's a gift of grace change the way that you see it? And the fact that you don't have to do anything to impress God and nothing that you do, good or bad, is going to change how he feels about you. How does that change how you see the life before you? Where we don't have this angst of, oh, i got to impress him. But rather, he's here and he loves me and he's with me. And I can do this because he's with me and he's empowering me. Everything, for everything, there is grace. Why is grace so amazing? Because it is constant grace, not occasional grace. In our failures, in our weaknesses, in everything, there is grace. And we have to live within that. 
we, want, we need to remember that it never pauses. And so the constant flow of grace upon grace, how does that change your outlook? As we close, there's one thing to clarify. I want to clarify about the water illustration. And it has to do with my one beef with the song Amazing Grace. I know that sounds really weird to hear somebody say that they have a problem with the most well-known hymn in the history of humanity. But here we are. My issue with the song is this one line. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. And this latter part of the second verse. Now, I get the idea that maybe how precious did it appear that his realization and when he believed all of that. But based on what we're talking about, I think that we just have to have this, we think about this correctly and we have a good understanding of how grace works. Again, everything we've said, grace didn't start when you believed. Grace has always been flowing. Us believing is when we stepped into what already was going on. And so come back to my water illustration. Can you play that last one? It isn't that when we started believing that the water, faith is, God, give me new life. Grace is always happening, always going. It's always flowing. And when I say I'm going to put my faith in Jesus, it's I'm moving to be underneath that flow of grace. God, restore me. Make me new. Make me your child. And the reality is, is that that's available for you today. The flow of grace is there. It's present. You can turn that. Stop it. The flow of grace. That was a really awkward pause. I meant you can stop it. That's <laughs> the f- hey, we're talking about grace, so you got to go with it now. The flow of God's grace doesn't turn on once you have faith. It is always on, and faith is stepping into the flow. And so how many of you today... You have never put your faith in Jesus, meaning that you have never said, God, I want to receive your gift of grace. You keep trying to impress him, to be a good person, comparing yourself to somebody else. Um, I've done this, I've done that, I haven't done this, I haven't done that, when the reality is, is I need you, Jesus. I need everything that you have done. And it's coming and being underneath that up grace upon grace upon grace abounding flow. If you've never done that, let t- today is the day of salvation. Stop running from him. Stop making excuses. Stop banking on your own life and your own efforts or whatever else. It's only in him that we have peace. It's only in him that our hearts are restored. It's only in him that we find everything that we're longing for in this life and hope for what's after. And so you need to come underneath the grace of Jesus. And so the Romans says, if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that he is Lord, you will be saved. Is Jesus Lord of your life? Are you under his grace? And if that's not true for you today, let today be the day of salvation. If that is true for you, stop thinking grace has paused. Stop acting like grace has paused. Stop thinking that the flow is not going and that you have to work or you have to impress or you have to do things. We don't do what we do to impress God. We do what we do because of how awesome he is and we want to be a part of what he's doing. God does not guilt us. He invites us. God does not shame us. He restores us. 
And so we need to be living those lives of grace. Grace is constant grace, not occasional grace. It is always on, never temporary. We're going to end today receiving communion.